Uh, could you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews? I told myself I was going to go th quickly through Hebrews, but I'm just having trouble getting out of the first three verses. But I'm sure it'll be uh, quicker after I can do that. Today's my sixth message in the epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, I'll just read the first three verses once again. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself perched our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word. Father, we do thank you for the, the reminder in the, in the hymn uh, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us. Lord, where would we be without that cleansing blood? And so we thank you for that reminder. And Lord, as we come to your Word today, I pray that we will come with clean hearts and that, Father, we would um, allow your Holy Spirit to teach us or to encourage us, whatever our need might be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've been working through uh, the uh, eight divine qualities of Christ that the writer to the Hebrews uh, presents to us in these first three verses. I've sort of committed myself to each of the qualities because there's a fair bit of theology in them and uh, it sort of opens up uh, lots of the scriptures the writer to the Hebrews gave this description of Christ as the divine Christ uh, in order to show his superiority because he's going to go on and show that Christ is superior to the angels, to Moses, to Aaron, to all these different people. But he starts with, his, with a bang, uh, telling us all these qualities of Christ. Uh, so far, I've looked at the first, just the first three of these, which are found in verses 1 and 2, and we've seen that Christ is the prophet of the new covenant. In verse 2 says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son. So he's the prophet of the new covenant. We've seen, secondly, Christ's possessions. God has appointed his Son to be heir of all things. He's the heir of all things. That's his possessions. And then we saw last time what I've called Christ's pre-existence. The writer to the Hebrews stated that by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus Christ is the creator and we saw that this is not just the cosmos but also the Ion, the times, the ages. Jesus Christ is the creator of the world and of the ages. Now today I want to look at the next divine quality found this time in verse 3. So I'm up to verse 3, uh, moving along quite well. And it starts with, uh, this verse starts with the next quality I want us to look at, where it says, who being the brightness of his glory. Who being the brightness of his glory. Here we read that Christ is the pure light of God's glory. He's the pure light of God's Glory. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. The who here, who being the brightness is the sun, and the his refers to the Godhead. Godhead. Jesus is the brightness of the glory of the Godhead. 
Now, just think for a moment, and uh, I'll ask you, if you had to preach on this expression today, <laughs> what would you say it means? That's a good question, isn't it? Maybe I'll just send you home and uh, you can come back with your... You might think it will be easy, but I found that this, this uh, expression stretches my tiny brain. So I hope that I don't confuse you or I don't confuse me today, but I'll do my best to explain what this uh, expression or quality of Christ is pointing to. The first, need we, the first word we need to look at is the word brightness. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Now, the Greek word that is translated brightness here is this is the only time that it actually appears in the New Testament. So you can't go to other verses and find out how it's used elsewhere. Uh, it's a compound word coming from a preposition from and the verb meaning to beam or shine. So the word literally means to beam or shine forth from something. To beam or shine forth from. Uh, so there's a source of the, uh, and there, and this is something that, sh there, this is something that shines out from that source. So there must be a light source, and this is the, what shines or beams out from that light source. It's the brightness uh, that that is shining forth. Now, clearly, this is a metaphor of light. Uh, there is a light source, and Jesus Christ is the brightness beaming out from that light source. Adam Clark says this is the resplendent outbeaming of the essential glory of God. And so that's the first word, brightness. It means an outshining from a light source. Now the second word to look at is the word um, glory, who being the brightness of his glory the source that Christ is outshining from, the brightness of, is described as the glory of God. Now glory, and especially the glory of God, is a huge topic in the Bible. Uh, the English word glory appears 402 times in the Old Testament. Uh, it appears, uh, the Greek word that for glory here appears uh, 168 times in the New Testament. It's a huge subject, uh, over 560 uh, references to glory and, and a lot of those are to the glory of God. But the writer clearly has in mind, the writer to Hebrews here, clearly has in mind the idea of light. The word brightness is referring to a shining of some light source. And this fits in with one of the major ideas of the glory of God in the Bible. If you who are Bible students, when you hear of the glory of God, uh, you think, I'm sure, of the shining brightness of God. Whenever I read of the glory of God, I think of the shining brilliance of God. We saw, in the, Shekinah, we saw the, uh, in the Shekinah glory of God when it entered into the tabernacle. It, it was a blinding light. And we saw it when... Uh, the Shekinah glory of God moved into Solomon's temple. It was a brilliant and pure light showing that God was there. The, 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 the glory of God was a shining bright, like a shining bright light and moved into the tabernacle and then eventually to the temple to show the presence of God. Remember, remember when Moses was permitted to, uh, to, just for a moment, to see the back of God. 
When he came down from the mount, his, his face shone so much, uh, they had to put a, put a covering over his face. That was because he'd seen the glory of God. When Jesus came to earth, he told us that among, among other things, he was the light of the world. Jesus was and is the brightness, the outbeaming or shining of the shining presence or glory of God. At home, we have a window in the dining room that faces due east. So in the morning when I'm having breakfast, I can have breakfast in natural light. But when the sun rises over my neighbour's fence, <laughs> uh, the sun shines directly in my face and it, blind, it blinds me with its brightness. It's the brightness of the glory of our sun, S-U-N. It's not the sun hitting my face, it's way out there in space. <laughs> it's the sunlight that is beaming out from that light source. And as far as I understand, sunlight has its own identity, but it definitely emanates from the sun. Now, I tried to figure out what light was, and I, they ended up with quantum physics, quantum physics, and a little lecture on quantum physics, and I'm pretty sure I don't know nothing about it. So I'm not going to try to uh, you know, trouble you about that. But there's the light source, there's the sun, and when I... That, when that sun rises over my neighbour's uh, fence, the, the, the sunlight is what hits my eyes. It's almost like it is its own thing. Now, it's not reflected light that's hitting my face, like the light of the moon. It's the light that comes directly from the source that has shone on our planet. And it's a huge light. <laughs> the moment that it's filling my dining room, it's also illuminating one half of the whole planet. It's brilliant and it's powerful, but without the light of the sun, our planet will be thrust into darkness and would eventually die. The sun, you know, gives life and it gives us light. Well, in the metaphor we have in verse 3, the source here is the glory of the Godhead and it's like a shining brilliance. And Jesus is the sunlight, the brightness emanating from the glory of God. Now, this simply means that Christ is the same essence as the Godhead. If he's the brightness, the, the out-beaming from the, the Godhead, then he uh, is of the same essence as uh, the Godhead. Being the brightness of God's glory affirms, again, the deity of Christ. And Jesus told us himself that those who, had, those who had seen him have seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's because he is the brightness of the glory of God. Turn with me to John chapter 1, a well-known verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse And we read, and the word was made flesh, and we know that word was Christ, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. There it is, glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Whenever you start to focus on the word glory in the Bible, you'll find it's everywhere. 
And here we see that uh, John re refers to the Lord Jesus Christ coming to, to well among them. And we beheld, we saw his glory. And the, it, was, it, was, it was the glory which proves that he was the begotten of the only begotten of the Father. Now, clearly, when Jesus took on his manhood, his divine glory was shrouded. It was like uh, putting a bright light under a lampshade. Uh, but his divine glory still shone through his miracles. Uh, they still shone through his holy character. It shone when he walked on the water and calmed the storm. Uh, it also shone through the, his sacrifice on Calvary for the, for the sins of the world. Uh, his glory also shone when he had risen from the dead and his disciples were meeting and then he just materialised in their presence and then he went away in the same way. Those who were his close companions, like John here, beheld the glory as the only begotten Son of God by observing, observing close at hand all that Jesus said and all that he did. His glory shone through even though he had on that earth suit. But there was one occasion when Peter, James and John were given a glimpse of his full glory. And how did they notice it? How did it, how did it show? Well, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. You know the story of the transfiguration. Matthew 17 verses 1 and 2. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James and John, his brother, that's uh, James, <laughs> James's brother John, and bringeth them up into the high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun and his raiment, his clothing, was white as the light. At his transfiguration, Jesus reverted, if you like, just for a moment to his divine self. It's like he removed the lampshade for all to see what he was really like. And what did Matthew say happened? What The others must have told him exactly what they saw. He said the face of Jesus did shine as the sun. And the sun... For me, every morning it comes up and it's blinding. His face did shine as the sun and his raiment or his clothing was white as light. The shining and the whiteness showed his true nature as the Son of God. This was and is his true nature. He is the brightness of the glory of God and those who see him see the glory of God. And these three disciples were given a glimpse of the glory of God in the shining face of Christ. Jesus told us he is the light of the world. And as the light, he can give us light. Like our sun gives us light to give us life. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he can give us everlasting life. He isn't a reflected light like, light, like the light of the moon. But he is from the source and of the same essence. He came from the source in heaven to give light and life to our sin-darkened world. Without light, there is no life. But being God the Son, Jesus can give us eternal life. Jesus told us, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I trust that everybody here today has the light of the glorious gospel 
has had it shine in your heart. I trust that you know that, uh, that Jesus died for you and that he rose from the dead, that you have admitted to him that you're a sinner and called upon him to save you. Because when we believe that good news message, that gospel message, his light will shine in our hearts and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll give us eternal life. So, according to Hebrews, our text, Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. But how should knowing this about the Lord Jesus affect our daily life? Should it, well, isn't that good to know? I know that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. It, it affirms his deity. Well, it, how should that, knowing that, it, uh, affect our life? Should it affect our lives in any way? Well, the glory of God in the Bible, as I said, is a huge subject, and I've just got a few things that I'd like to share now that we know that Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. There are certain themes that are repeated over and over and again in the Bible about the glory of God. The glory of God can mean different things depending on the context in which they're given. We saw one here, it's uh, referring to the light, the, the brilliant, uh, brilliance of God as, 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 uh, in all of his deity. But there are other themes and I'd like to present two to you uh, this morning. The first thing is that the glory of God in the Bible signifies God's presence, like I shared before. In 2 Chronicles 5.14, when Solomon finally built his temple and they brought all the furniture in and uh, they started the sacrifices, we read that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The priests couldn't fulfill their priestly functions on that opening day because the glory of the Lord moved in and it was blinding. But that was a sign that God was there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. The glory of the Lord was a sign of the presence of God. When Jesus came to earth, even as the God-man, uh, we saw that he exhibited to those around him his divine glory. For just 33 years, think of that, all of eternity, just 33 years, God the Son committed himself to be in one place at one time, God the Son was physically present in the world and it showed, as we read, we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten, full of uh, grace and truth. Those who were close to him could see that glory. Those who believed in him experienced that glory. He was here just for 33 years out of all eternity. It was amazing. That's how much committed he was to us. The glory of the Lord when Jesus came didn't dwell any longer in the Holy of Holies. It was a pitted pit of apostates and, and corrupt priests. During that period, when Christ came, the Shekinah glory, the glory of God dwelt in the person of Christ. And for those who would notice, it was clear that he was God. But when his ministry on earth was nearly finished, Jesus made a request to the Father. So just go with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And verses 4 and 5. This is the wonderful uh, prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. But he had this personal request of the Father. John 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee, that's God, on the earth, God the Father. I have finished the work which thou gavest, gavest me to do so. Christ's ministry was to glorify the Father, to bring glory to him. 
But then he says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify thou me with mine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So before the world was, Jesus had certain glory. But when he took upon that himself as a man, became a, that God-man, he sort of laid aside some of those divine uh, qualities uh, just so he could live amongst us. But now he's finished his course. He's about to go back to heaven and he asks this prayer, please, could I, be, <laughs> could I have the same glory that I had before the world was? Now, we know that the Father did what Jesus asked. He gave him his request. And we know now that the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God in heaven. Uh, but now that he has gone back to heaven, there's no temple in Israel. He's gone back to heaven. Is there anywhere that his glory, the glory of God, his presence on earth dwells? Where does the presence of God dwell? On the earth. Well, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Is there anywhere on earth now where the glory of God dwells? Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. I'll read verse... Uh, Verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Verse 24, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. What's the body? Which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given me to you, for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to the saints. What's that mystery? To whom... God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Christ now dwells in his body, the church. There is a place on earth where the glory of God can be seen, where the glory of God dwells, where God is present. He is present in the, his body, which is the church. The church is now his temple where his glory dwells. The only hope of any of us to share in the glory of God is to have Christ in us. It's amazing. It's a mystery. But he has committed himself to be in us so that he might reside, his presence might be in this sin-sick world. It's a mystery. But we have this glory, we have the glory of God in us because we have Christ in us. We can have that assurance then of the hope of God's glory because Christ dwells within us. We can be sure that we're saved, we can be sure of future glory because Christ dwells in us. Knowing that he is the brightness of God's glory and he dwells within us, it is God dwelling in us in Christ. So God is now present in his church and knowing that should make us sure of our salvation. But knowing this should also affect the way we live. Paul told the Corinthians, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 
Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So as the dwelling place of God, we are to glorify him in all we do. We should act in a way that will bring glory to God. He has shared his glory with us. His Christ dwells within us, which is our only hope. This is where he lives now on our earth, in his church. So we ought to um, glorify him, act in a way that will bring glory to him. Knowing that Christ is the brightness of the glory of God should affect the way we live. That's the first thing that we need to how this knowledge should affect us and, and how we should respond to it. The second way it should affect us, knowing this about Christ, is that we should praise him for his glory. The glory of God should provoke our praise. Now, the glory of the God in the Bible, the glory of God might refer, refer to his, the shining of God. It might refer to the, as a sign of his presence, but it also might refer to all the things about him that are worthy of praise. The heaven declare the glory of God, how great he is, that he is the creator, that he's powerful. And so but the glory of God in the Bible is a reference to all the amazing things about God that should make us praise him. Now, David knew this, Psalm 148, verse 13. He said, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. God's glory, his greatness, his Whatever that word makes us think about how great and mighty God is should cause us to praise the Lord. It certainly did cause the psalmist to praise him. And as Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, then he deserves our praise. He deserves our glory, uh, our praise, sorry, for his glory. When Jesus came to earth, the world didn't honour him as they should one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. The heavenly host already do that, did you know? The heavenly host, even right now, even while the world here rejected him, he only lives in those who believe in him. But the heavenly host already praises him for his glory. John showed us this in the Revelation, Revelation 5, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. You see, the heavenly host already praises God the Son for his glory and so should we. Of all people on the earth, we should praise the Lord Jesus Christ, the brightness of the glory of God, we should praise him for all that he has done and all that he is. Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and we should praise him for who he is and what he has done. I just found this little quote, J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian, I guess, once said all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. He headed the compositions JJ, Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. 
He ended with the SDG, Sola Dei Gratia, which means to God alone the praise. And so J.S. Bach could see uh, that he needs to praise God, praise the Lord Jesus Christ in his music. And we ought to be uh, uh, as the place where he dwells, uh, as those who has bought with his blood his temple. We should be people who are always praising the praise of God upon our lips, the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as the brightness of God's glory, is worthy of our praise. So let's, let's be praising him constantly. And so this is the fourth quality. It says, who being the brightness of his glory, I trust that I haven't confused you too much. Uh, but uh, let's all give glory to God. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for showing us uh, once again how wonderful the Lord Jesus truly is uh, and uh, how he is superior to, to, to us and to any who would claim it, have any claims upon our worship or praise. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is the brightness, the very outshining of the Godhead and that he is therefore God and we need to worship him as God and live for him. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Now, could you